in 2016, in the summer, I was at a, a conference in San Diego, California, and it was a bunch of pastors who were hanging out one night, which sounds, is, is about as fun as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> so I met this one pastor named Bobby. I said, Bobby, where do you serve? He said, I serve a church in Dunstable, Massachusetts. I said, no way. I'm from South Nashua. Nashua and Dunstable used to be the same town. You know that, right? You're ministering to my people. We need to hang out. When we get back to New England, uh, we should hang out. So sure enough, uh, that winter, Bobby and I reconnected, and uh, we were hanging out again. I said, Bobby, how is your church in Dunstable, Massachusetts going? He said, you know, we're trying to figure out what it means to be a church that doesn't have amazing music. I said, huh, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, we had a worship leader who's uh, just left, left our church. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, we, we, um, we're in between worship leaders, too, and it, that can be a tough season you know, for churches. And he's like, yeah, he was so good and, and, and leading, and everybody loved him. And I said, well, where'd he go? I said, well, he, he lives in Dracut. I said, Dracut? That's right next to Andover, where our church is. He said, yeah, he works at a, um, he really has a heart for education. He's a teacher in Lawrence. Like, we have a heart for education <laughs> in Lawrence. I said, did he, um, did you leave on good terms? He said, yeah. So, you know, he was just moving on to other things. He's a great guy. I said, do you have his phone number? And uh, Bobby said, yeah, you know, you actually you should probably give him a call. I said, yeah, absolutely. So I give, I uh, contact Fernando, and uh, <laughs> yeah, praise God. I said, hey, we heard uh, you're working in Lawrence. I'd love to talk to you about, you know, our heart for Lawrence and just uh, to meet you. And would you stop by the church, have a conversation? So we stop by for a conversation. We kind of meander our way in here. And we're talking, and I said, hey, look, a, a piano. That's, that's <laughs> heard that you play the piano. I mean, could you play a song for us? And he said, yeah, I, I didn't think I was here to, to do that. I didn't prepare anything. And uh, he said, but let me see what I can do. He goes up, and he lights it up. I mean, just lit that thing up and uh, played a few songs. And so, um, so we said goodbye. Before he got home, he had an email with an offer to, uh, for employment. Now, it's not in my authority to do that, actually. So I'm, I'm, as the pastor, I'm not authorized to hire or fire anybody, but I thought I could get away with this one and get um, forgiveness from the Board of Elders, which they, they gave me, and, and so, so there we go. So Fernando started here, again, six years ago, and then a couple months later, he, he resigned. He gave me a resignation letter and said that he was uh, beginning... Uh, finishing his ministry here and beginning a PhD program in Florida. He said, I don't understand why you people live here in the winter anyway. Um, but, you know, but this is, the, this is the next step in his journey to get a PhD in linguistics. And I said, I, I, said, I, I don't accept this letter. <laughs> I don't. What can, we, you know, what can we do? He said, well, you know, in addition to this new PhD program is also, this will extend my um, status as a, on my student visa for a period of time. And that was, you know, a decision that needed to be made. And um, he said, you know, but there is, there is this other thing called an R1 religious visa that we might qualify for, that the church could apply on my behalf, could petition on my behalf to get this kind of uh, thing. But it's kind of a long process, and it's going to take some work. And I said, let's do it. Let's try it. So over the last um, six years has been quite an education in uh, immigration and 
how uh, broken our system is under multiple administrations. I mean, this is just, uh, it's just a disastrous kind of a system. Uh, immigration, so we applied for this, we petitioned for this visa. Immigration shows up at the church, and they sit down in my office and said, do you know who this person is, Fernando Castro? I said, yeah, he works here. Petitioned for his visa. You know, where, where's his office? We'll show you his office. And so apparently there's a fair amount of... Um, fraud in this type of a visa thing. So they checked us out, and we passed all the immigration stuff, and so the immigration officer leaves. Two months later, the guy comes back. He's like, well, we have to redo a certain number of these applications, so we're here. And it was, it was the week of Christmas. I'm like, look, you know it's kind of a busy week here, right? This is a big, this is a church, and, and he said, well, no, we have to do this process. So he sits and talks, interviews Fernando, and they're in here, and he says, hey, look, there's a piano. And the sanctuary, you are a music minister. I would think that you would know how to play the piano. Fernando's like, yeah, let's go. You know, and he, <laughs> he gets up with the immigration guy here. Now, I thought it would have been hysterical if he gets up there and just starts, you know, <laughs> plinking away like that. But we were not messing around with immigration. We were, we, in hindsight, that would have been hysterical. And we, you did the right thing. <laughs> Lit it up. Immigration goes away. But over the years, the process got stuck, and it started, and it was stuck, and we were calling and writing letters to our elected officials. Please, can you help us? This guy, he's a good guy. He's part of our community. He has three children who are citizens of our country. He pays his taxes. He owns a house. Like, he's a good guy. Can you please help us get to, you know, get to the next step? So on Wednesday afternoon this week, Fernando got his green card. <laughs> Still a Brazilian citizen, but a permanent resident. I share that story for two reasons. One, it just happened, and we're super excited, and praise God. The second reason is this is a perfect image of us. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. We, every one of us, is a green card-holding permanent resident on this planet, but we are citizens of another place. We're citizens of heaven. 21 verse 1 in Revelation, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This, as we finish the book of Revelation, is the image of our eternal state. This is where we will exist with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And so right now, we're permanent residents. And then we will know our citizenship in heaven. The, the new heavens and the new earth replace heaven and earth as we know it now. It's all combined. God is present. His people are there eternally. And that is the destiny of all of God's people. And I want to look at that today because, verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These trustworthy and true words are for us today to remind us of, as we live our life as resident aliens here, that our citizenship is in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Fernando. We thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for his new status uh, as a permanent resident uh, with us. But we also thank you for our status that you've given us as your children, citizens of your eternal kingdom, even as we live here on earth, Lord. Teach us now what that means. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
So let's make some observations about the new heavens and the new earth. What, what's there and what's not there. So what's there, what's not there. How do I get there? And then so what do we do with this? So what are some things that are there and some things that are not there? First of all, uh, we see here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And you say, ah, some of you love the ocean. Like, oh, there's no sea. That's that's kind of one of the things I actually like about this world. Um, Remember, this is highly symbolic language. This is still apocalyptic literature high symbolism. The symbolism of the sea in the book of Revelation and really throughout scripture is of of chaos, of evil, of things that are against the kingdom of God. That's why the beast comes up out of the sea, this hideous beast. Um, This is all now banished in the new creation. There's no more of that. There's no more sea. But there is a new city, a new Jerusalem. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's why this is a great text for Palm Sunday. Remember on Palm Sunday, we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem, and he's riding in uh, humbly on a, on a donkey as a rightful king entering the city. The people are, are hailing him as a king and laying down their coats and laying down palm branches and waving the branches and celebrating Jesus as king, but he gets to the city, he's overlooking the city, and he weeps because he knows, he knows what it's going to take to bring peace to the city. He knows that the city is going to be destroyed and the temple, that uh, this place of worship there is going to be completely destroyed and Jesus is just weeping over the city. But here the image is, is a new Jerusalem that's rebuilt and permanent and it's, and it's dressed like a bride. So Jerusalem is described as a beautiful bride, which elsewhere in Revelation, is, it describes the church, the people of God. It's us, that we are this beautiful bride. So not only will we live in the city, but we are the city together, God's people, which is a great image because the church isn't always a beautiful place, unfortunately. Churches make mistakes. This church, we, we get things wrong. We make mistakes. Uh, there's churches that have done great harm to people. There, there's, there's all the scandals and there's these kind of things. And we look at the, we look at the church and we say, that doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily look like a beautiful bride. But our destiny is to be made beautiful by God. All of our imperfections now are gone and we are united to our groom, Jesus, forever unified. And this is a beautiful picture that as we go through today, God is making us beautiful. So there's a new Jerusalem. Uh, One thing that you're not going to see there is tears. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The things in this world that make us cry, especially things like the death of a loved one, grieving and mourning, uh, the, the pain, the physical pain, or whatever emotional pain or weight, these things are all banished from your thoughts. It will all be banished from our experience in heaven, the things that make you cry. This was prophesied in the prophet Isaiah 35, says those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion, that's the, the city of God or the Jerusalem. They will enter Zion with singing, Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And the sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
was reflecting with, um, with Clancy last night about just this has been a season that's heavy. We, we've seen heaviness in, in the lives of people in the church, in our own lives, and in work, and just all these things that cause us weight and heaviness and really make us cry. They're gone. They flee away. No more tears. Also, no more temple. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So you've got God the Father and, and the Lamb, that's God the Son. They, they're there. We don't, there's, there doesn't need to be a special place of uh, religious practice or of worship. It's, it's the presence of God everywhere. And there's just beautiful freedom of God's presence. And you say, well, I see the Father and the Son. Where's the Holy Spirit? 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So you have God the Father and God the Son, and then flowing from them is, is the Holy Spirit, this river of life that is, is bringing healing and provision eternally. And I love this image because it reminds us that heaven is not static, nor is it boring. And young people who are out here, if you ever hear this, oh, heaven's going to be boring. You sit on a cloud and play a harp. You know, I'd rather go to hell. It seems like all the fun people go there, and it'd be more of a party. First of all, read your Bible. That's, read your Bible. But it's not this static, boring place that God is infinite, and his blessings flowing to his people in our eternal state will cause us to be full of joy in a continual and ongoing way, in an infinite way that we experience him and learn of him, and the, the depths of our joy are just not ceasing ever as his spirit flows uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. So there is the spirit, the river that's there. But there is no curse, verse 3 here. No longer will there be any curse. I, I do believe in heaven that there will be work to do. There will be things that we do, but there's no curse. Remember, Adam and Eve, Adam's in the garden and, and experiencing God perfectly before sin and before the curse. He's actually working. He's doing things, but there's no toil. We work with no toil, without the thorns and the, the sweat of our brow and all these things that make life hard today. We can just live life without the, those things. The, the divide between part of the curse was the male-female relationship gets broken, but here we have men and women living together in harmony, restored relationship, no more curse. What we will see, though, is worship here in verse 3. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So whatever experience of music or worship or joy in celebrating God, it's, that is happening in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's, it's, the, it's, it's the greatest thing we see here in verse 4 that will be there is this, that they will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. The fellowship with God. And again, there's the absence of all the curse. There's the absence of all the things that drag us down to make us cry. But the greatest thing is the very presence and the very face of God. Remember, before sin destroyed this world, we have Adam and Eve in the garden, and God is walking with them in perfect fellowship, and that will all be restored where we can actually see the face of God. The worst part of the curse of sin that we experience is distance from God. Again, Adam and Eve get banished from the garden, and in different ways we experience this distance between us and God. And, and here, in, in, 
in a sinful state, Exodus 33, you know, God talking to Moses, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. Jesus said, no one has ever seen God. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, God, the blessed and only ruler, king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, that God is unseeable because God is perfect and holy, and anything that is not holy can't be in God's presence. And yet, in that place, we will see God face to face, the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who is redeeming you out of a broken world and restoring your life. You will see face to face. That's what you're going to see in heaven. So how do you get there? You'll notice here in this text that this is an amazingly inclusive place, but also an amazingly exclusive place. 21.6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious, uh, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is an amazingly inclusive picture that there's life, there's this water of life that is given without cost. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You cannot purchase it. It is given freely. All you have to do is thirst. All you have to do is need it, and it's given freely. And life comes to you. You don't, you inherit this eternal life. You don't earn an inheritance. It's just granted to you because of your status as a child, as an heir. So in verse 7, it's, I will be their God and they will be my children. Who has the right to be a child of God? It's those who believe. It's by faith that those who believed in his name, as, as John, as he writes his gospel, says uh, they are given the right to become children of God only by faith. And it's a wide open door. It's a gate that won't shut, that none will be denied as they put their faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished to get us there. It's amazingly inclusive, but it's also exclusive. Look at 27, chapter 21, verse 27. It says, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It, nothing impure can be in this place. You must be cleansed. You must be purified to enter in. And, but again, that's a, that's a wide offer to anybody. Even today, you can be cleansed and purified by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. All of our sin and all of our uncleanness, all of our brokenness, Jesus takes that on the cross. It dies with him and he raises to new life and he said that new life is for you. And we just trust by faith to receive new life so that we can get there. Okay, so what? What do we do with this? This concludes our, our study through Revelation and it's been quite a journey. I'm going to sleep well tonight because we're done. Um, but I got a lot of feedback from you and just under, you know, having this framework to understand these words and these images in a way that really will propel us in our everyday lives. I mean, these writings, to the, the, the first readers of, of these texts, they were, in, they, had, they were poor, most of them, they had very little status, and they were severely uh, persecuted and oppressed. And yet, the church of Jesus grew tremendously during this time in history. There's something about these words that propelled them forward. 
So what is it about these words that can propel us into our life, particularly this vision of heaven? And I'll give you a warning first. We don't want to over-focus on heaven. If we just only focus towards heaven, we miss the fact that God has put us here on earth, that we are resident aliens here, and we need to live our lives. We can't just circle the wagons and say we're waiting for heaven, and we'll just kind of celebrate and protect ourselves from this evil world until someday we get there. Say, no, actually, God has work for us to do. There are more to be brought into this kingdom. He's not done yet, and we need to um, be active in this world. So we don't want to focus too much on heaven, but we also don't want to focus too much on earth, uh, just what's going on around us and the things that we can do in our day. Because if we just, if we get our eyes off heaven and only think of this world, it can be very frustrating. It can, it can also cause us to be drawn to just earthly comfort or earthly wealth. And remember that we're citizens of another place. We're to live a different way. We need to be we need to be obsessed with heaven, but a healthy obsession. So I want everybody to have a healthy obsession with heaven. Because then we can live lives of patient endurance. You know, the strength to face the, the hard things of our day and endure it because there's something greater. The best description of this is in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and into an inheritance, that's heaven, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. It's coming. It's in the last time. It's there for us. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That's the image right there, that we have this amazing inheritance. It gives us a living hope that's going to drive us through whatever we face today. And we live lives where we are called to respond to injustices in our world, uh, poverty and hunger and those who are abused, enslaved, oppressed, people in crisis. And if we didn't have this greater hope, we could get really frustrated that things just aren't getting better. You know, we, we feed people who are hungry. And then the next week, what do we see? More hungry people more than the week before. So we, we give food, and then there's a greater need, and we help one crisis, and then there's another crisis, and we could really get dragged down, but we know that these, the, the hope and the healing that we can bring to our world today, we'll experience it fully in the life to come. And the other thing we need to remember is that we are citizens of heaven. This verse again, Philippians 3. Citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not you will be citizens of heaven. It's that we are that now. And we live by heaven's rules. We live by heaven's values. We live by heaven's priorities in our world today. We are resident aliens. We are permanent residents here, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we remember, okay, then as I live out my mission in my everyday life, that I'm doing it a certain way. And it's not that I only experience God's presence in the future, but I experience his presence and the power of his Holy Spirit today as I live out my mission on earth. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this hope that we have. We thank you uh, for how secure it is, and we thank you for uh, calling us to be part of it, Lord. And we just...
that you've cleansed us and made us beautiful to be forever um, experiencing you and your presence. And Lord, may this just drive us into our everyday lives, to all those places you've called us, to live uh, as your children, to live as your people today. We thank you for your word. We thank you and we praise you and we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.